Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is a production of Produce North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Hatton in Jerusalem. And welcome back to our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. Last time in chapter 11, we read about Shaul's moment of glory. After Nachash, the king of the Ammonites, had threatened the people of Yavesh Gilad, Shaul had mustered the people, unified them, led them into battle with a clear strategy, and completely defeated the enemy. Anyone who had earlier opposed Shaul's kingship now was forced to concede that in fact he was the best candidate. At Gilgal, Shaul was coronated a second time, and there Shaul and all of the people of Israel were very, very joyous. Chapter 12 sees Shemuel wind up his career. He will not disappear from the narrative, but from this point forwards, he will begin to recede into the background. After all, Shaul is now king. He is charged with leading the people, and it will be up to him to decide how to proceed. Shemuel says, I have listened to you, everything that you have asked me, people of Israel and I have raised up a king over you. And now the king goes before you, As for me, I am old and of advanced age. My children are with you. And I have gone before you, I have walked before you, from my youth until this very day. And Shemuel in this moment, invites the people to set up a parallel between his lifetime of service and selfless leadership and the king who is about to take his place. Both of them will be going in front of the people and leading them. But Shemuel says, I have spent my lifetime doing so. The rabbis actually say, although Shemuel reports that he is an old man of advanced age, he was only 52 years old at the time of his death. Effectively, the implication is that the work of leading the people and being so single-mindedly devoted to them had worn him down, such that he had actually aged prematurely. And now that Shemuel is about to officially turn over the reins of leadership, he invites the people to testify against him. Here I am, he says, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of his anointed one, Mishicho, that is to say, Shaul, the king who was anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Or whom have I robbed? 
From whom have I taken a bribe to look the other way? I will return it to you. But the people responded, you have not defrauded us and you have not robbed us and you have not taken anything from anyone. He said to them, let God be witness. Let his anointed be witness on this day. Kilo mitzatem biyadi meuma, verse number five, you have found nothing in my possession. And they responded, God be witness, vayomer ed. Effectively, Shemuel says, I have never taken advantage of my power. I have never abused my position. I have never sought personal gain at the expense of the people of Israel. And in this moment of great candor, he invites the people to testify otherwise. And there is no one that can accuse Shemuel of any wrongdoing. What an illustrious career. What a wonderful thing to have a leader who can leave the scene, complete their leadership career without scandal, without corruption, without any hint of wrongdoing, especially when that leadership career has stretched for 40 or 50 years. But of course, Shemuel is also thinking something else in constructing this parallel. He knows very well that the king will now take the reins of leadership from him. Will the king be able to maintain the same level of integrity? Will the king be able to maintain purity insofar as his leadership is concerned? Not to be corrupt and not to take advantage and not to abuse his power? That will be the great question. And they said, God be witness that you have not defrauded us or oppressed us. Interestingly enough, in, in verse number five, in the original Hebrew, it says, Vayomer ed, and he said, God be witness in the singular. And the commentaries have a number of different interpretations as to why it is in the singular. Some of them say, in a straightforward interpretation, each one of the Israelites individually was able to say, God be witness that you have taken nothing from me or from us. Some of the others say it's almost as if God himself, the Holy Spirit, so to speak, was able to respond on the people's behalf. And he said, God that is, God be witness that you, Shemuel, have been an honest leader. But perhaps the most interesting interpretation is that which is offered by the medieval scholar of Yosef Kara, who actually says, Vayomer Ed in the singular is a reference to Shaul, the king. Shemuel invites the people to testify against him, to recall any moment during his long career where he had taken advantage of his power. And now it is Vayomer Ed, Shaul, the new king, is the one who is forced to say, you are blameless. As if to suggest, I sincerely hope that I, the new king of Israel, 
will be able to live up to the tremendously high standard and example that you, Shemuel, have set for me. Of course, the specific reference at Shor Milakachti Bahamor Milakachti, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? recalls an earlier moment in Israelite history in the book of Numbers, Sefer Bimidbar, chapter 16, when Korach raises a rebellion against Moshe and Aharon and accuses them of nepotism and depotism and taking advantage of their office to abuse the people, Moshe will turn to God and he will say, it's not true. Lo chamor echad mehem nasati. I did not take a donkey from any of them. Velo harayoti et echad mehem, nor cause any of them any harm. Even when that donkey could have been construed as quote unquote a business expense. Moshe said, I never took anything from the people. And Shemuel, as it were, in a parallel moment, says the same. Shemuel now recounts the history of the people of Israel. This is a technique that biblical leaders will often use, especially when they are completing their leadership. The end of the book of Joshua, chapter 24, has Joshua doing a similar thing, recalling the history of the people of Israel and God's intervention on their behalf, and often that history will begin from the enslavement in Egypt. Shemuel recounts, you went down to Egypt and you cried out to God and God sent Moshe and Aharon to bring you forth and to settle you in this place. And now Shemuel will recall some highlights from the book of Judges. In particular, the oppression of Sisra, the chief of staff from Chatzor, the oppression of the Philistines and the Moabites, and how the people of Israel had cried out to God, and God had appointed judges in order to save them. Shmuel recounts in verse number 11, Vayishlach Hashem, God sent Yerubaal and Bidan and Yiftach and Shmuel and he saved you from your enemies roundabout, and you dwelt in security. So the message is quite clear. When the people of Israel require divine assistance, if they are prepared to abandon idolatry and to cleave unto God, Shmuel says, God will be there for you as he was in the book of Judges in those difficult moments of oppression. A judge always arose to save you from the oppressor. And Shmuel, as I mentioned, speaks of four judges in particular, Yerubal, Bidan, Yiftach, and himself. So first of all, here's an indication which we have spoken about earlier, that Shmuel, in fact, regards himself as being part of the period of the judges. Interestingly enough, only three of these characters can be traced directly back to Sefer Shoftim. Yerubal is, of course, Gid'on, and Gid'on's story is recounted in the book of Judges, chapter 6, 7, and 8. He defeated the Midianites. Yiftach 
is also a judge of a lower caliber, but a judge nonetheless, who is mentioned in Sefer Shoftim, chapters 11 and 12. Shimuel is Shimuel. But who exactly is the judge called Bidan? There is no record in Sefer Shoftim of a judge called Bidan. The rabbinic tradition associates Bidan with Samson Shimshon, who hails from the tribe of Dan, hence the name Bidan. Alternatively, we might suggest that the Book of Judges probably includes judges whose story we never actually hear about. After all, it's a period of over 300 years. Not every story, not every leader, not every judge is mentioned, and perhaps Bidan is one of the judges that we know nothing about from Sefer Shoftim itself. Interestingly enough, the name occurs in an unconnected context in Chronicles 1, chapter 7, which is to say it is a name which was current in ancient Israel. There is a Bedan who hails from the tribe of Menasheh, but in the Chronicles version, of course, he's not associated with the book of Judges. In any case, Shemuel's point basically is that a king is not necessary in order for the people of Israel to be safe from their oppressors. And this, of course, raises a larger question, which we have been considering. If I were to put it in modern terms, I might say, Shmuel is in favor of smaller government. The less control and the less taxation and the less involvement, the better. That essentially is the political model in ancient terms of judges. Judges are there to lead. Judges have a limited sphere of influence and power. They will get the job done and they will move on. But the people of Israel have now asked for a king. And king is about big government. It's about a leader with vast powers. It's about taxation. It's about monumental building projects and many other things that come along with big government. There are advantages and disadvantages to both models. And now as Shemuel prepares to hand over power and leadership to the new king, once again, as he has done on multiple times as this process has been unfolding, he sounds a note of caution. But his main point is, the most important thing that the people of Israel can do is to be true to God and to be true to the Torah. That will be the source of their success and nothing else. If they stray after idolatry, then a king will not save them. If they cleave to God and keep his Torah, then a king is not necessary. Shemuel says, God is not pleased with how this process has unfolded. Behold, verse number 17, it is the wheat harvest today. I will call out to God and he will cause kolot umatar, thunder and rain, and you will see that your evil is very great that you have done in the eyes of God to ask a king for yourselves. Interestingly enough, Rabbi David Kimchi, who lived in the 13th century, says, what's so unusual 
about rainfall during the harvest season. It happens all the time where I live, he says, which was in Provence. But then he mentions an interpretation in the name of his father, that in fact, in the land of Israel, the seasons are much more defined. There is the rainy season, which stretches from Sukkot to Pesach. And then there is the dry season, which stretches from Pesach to Sukkot. And during the dry season in the land of Israel, rain is highly unusual. And during the harvest, which takes place at the beginning of the summer in the land of Israel, the wheat harvest, rain is almost never experienced. So for the rain now to fall, therefore represents some sort of expression of divine disfavor, especially since it can have a negative impact on the wheat which is being harvested, but has not yet dried out. So sure enough, there were thunderclaps and rainfall on that day. Vayira kol ha'amaod, all the people feared God and feared Shemuel greatly. They asked Shemuel to pray on their behalf, which he did. And he offered them the following advice. Do not stray from God, serve him with all of your heart. Do not follow futility, which is to say idolatry, and then and only then will you be successful. The chapter ends on a highly cautionary note. Fear God, serve him in truth with all of your hearts. Kiru, see how he has dealt graciously and greatly with you. V'im harea tareu, but if you do evil, gam atem, gam malkechem, tisafu, then both you and your king will be swept away and will come to an end. So as Shemuel officially completes his term as leader in ancient Israel, once again, he leaves the people of Israel with this cautionary thought. Kingship is not the solution necessarily to our problems. It is simply one other way of government, one other political model. But at the end of the day, what makes the difference is for the leader to have integrity, for the leader to be a true servant of the people that he or she leads. That's what makes the ultimate difference. And Shemuel can therefore say at the end of his career, I was that leader, and I hope and pray that Shaul will be that leader as well. Next time, we'll consider chapter 13, where we will see Shaul now act in his capacity as king of Israel, with all of the powers associated with that office, and we will see how he fares in his new role. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Parties North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.